chapter, verses 6 through 27. This is a rather long passage, so bear with me. As a result, those who had gathered together asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of, to Israel now? And Jesus replied, It isn't for you to know the time or the season that the Father has set by His own authority. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After Jesus said these things, as they were watching, He was lifted up and a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while He was going away, as they stood staring toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood next to them. And they said, Galileans, why are you standing here looking toward heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw Him go into heaven. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they entered the city, they went to an upstairs room where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, Alphaeus' son, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, James' son. And they were united in their devotion to prayer, along with some women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. During this time, the family of believers, um, during this time, the family of believers was a company of about 120 persons. Peter stood among them and said, Brothers and sisters, the scriptures of the Holy Spirit announced beforehand through David, and it has been fulfilled. And this is what the scriptures concerning Judas, who had become a guide for those who arrested Jesus. This happened even though he was one of us and received a share of this ministry. In fact, he bought a field with the payment he received for his injustice. And falling head first, he burst open in the middle and all his intestines spilled out. This became known to everyone in Jerusalem so that they call the field in their own language the field of blood. It is written in the Psalm scroll, Let his home become deserted and let no one live in it and give his position of leadership to another. Therefore, we must select one of those who have accompanied us during the whole time of the Lord Jesus lived among us, beginning from the baptism of Jesus until this day when Jesus was taken up. This person must become, along with us, witness to his resurrection. And so they nominated two, Joseph, called Bersabbas, and one who was known as who was known as Justice and Matthias. And they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's deepest thoughts and desires. Show us clearly which one you have chosen among these two to take the place of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned away to go to his own place. And they cast lots, and they fell on Matthias, and he was added. To the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord. A group of retired ministers and some who weren't quite retired were talking one day, and as clergy do, they were talking shop. I guess that happens everywhere. And one of the retired folks said, when I retired, I knew there would be aspects of ministry that I would miss. And so they began to talk about the things they would miss. Some folks said they missed worship leadership. Others said they'd missed preaching. Others teaching a class. 
Some missed the contact they had with people through pastoral care and the various other things we do in the, in the course of ministry. But everybody agreed that there were some things they would not miss. Committee meetings, number one. Mediating church spats. Stewardship. And all the nuts and bolts of church administration. Now, I am sure that in everybody's work experience, there are things you like and there are things you just assume you didn't have to do, but the truth is, it's part of the job. And so you do it. And yet somehow, we think it ought to be different in the church. Why? A committee member said, this church is no better, no better than a business. You could hardly say anything that would make church people feel worse. But he said it in despair after a three-hour finance committee meeting. <laughs> Shouldn't the body of Christ be more than this, better than this? I expect you understand a little of the frustration this man felt. You see, the truth is, church is a messy place. We come to church, the place where souls are saved, where God is encountered, where the kingdom is advanced, and we're met by what? Well, budgets that don't always balance, and bills to pay, and payroll, and classes that need teachers. We always need teachers. And pastors who aren't always pastoral. And cantankerous folks, sometimes of which I am one. And we say, surely the church ought to be better than this. Can't we get beyond the business stuff of church and get on with the real work of being church? Our ideal of church, so often you see, is so much grander than the reality we experience. Jesus says that we are branches. He is the vine. Paul calls us the body of Christ. And then we get to church and we're met with all these human beings and we wonder how we all fit together. But if you notice, there's nothing in the modern church that wasn't also going on in the church of the first century. Have you ever noticed how Scripture doesn't just tell us all the good stuff, but it also tells us all the troubling stuff that took place as well, as well as the mundane things. The end of each of the Gospels describes this heady, scary, wonderful period of time after the resurrection of Jesus and before the ascension. On many occasions, Jesus appears to the disciples the road to Emmaus, behind locked doors, on the seashore. Many times and places, Jesus comes and He sees the disciples. He eats with them. They touch Him. He talks with them. The beginning of the book of Acts, the part that I just read for you, really is a continuation of Luke's gospel. Most of you know that. And you heard described the ascension of Jesus in the first part of that text. Easter season is 40 days. 
and here last Thursday, to be precise, on Ascension Day, is when Jesus gathers for the last time with the disciples. They ask Him what they have asked Him so many times. Is it time to, for God to restore the kingdom to Israel? And once more, Jesus reprimands them a little bit. That's almost Jesus' final words to the disciples. You're getting ahead of God. Just go back to Jerusalem and wait. And then Jesus ascends. So today is the Sunday after Ascension. Sometimes we call it Ascension Sunday. It is the last Sunday of Eastertide. Next week is Pentecost. With the coming of the Spirit and all the wonderful, strange, mystic experience that that might lead us to understand. So what do the disciples do in the ten days between the ascension of Jesus into heaven and the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost? Well, maybe we, sit and picture, we picture them sitting around and waiting. And there is some of that, I'm sure. But I think it's near to the truth to say that in the midst of their waiting, they really are carrying out, as best they understand at this point, what Jesus' ministry and mission was intended to be. In other words, they got on with the business of being the church. So go back and look how the church conducted itself and how it did its business. The first thing you will note is the one that you all would expect. They attended to spiritual things. They spent all those days in prayer. Isn't that what you would want them to do? Isn't that what you would expect them to do? They constantly devoted themselves to prayer. But if I know anything about people who are in the midst of praying, prayer tends to lead to worship. And I expect that they told and retold stories of Jesus the miracles, the healings, the times that he taught and they didn't understand and then they did understand, I expect they continue to express their confusion over exactly how this thing was going to play out now that Jesus was gone. That's what we would like to think goes on in the church all the time, a devotion to spiritual things. But church is large or small, is not just about the spiritual things, or at least the things we call spiritual. There are other needs and activities the church has to engage in. And here in the early church, they find themselves to be one apostle short. Judas, one of the twelves, betrays Jesus. He goes out and commits suicide. His place needs to be taken by another, according to Peter, who is the de facto leader. Peter quotes from the Psalms, Let another his office take. And so they put forward two names. Matthias and Justice. And Matthias is elected to fill the slot. I wonder what Justice thought. <laughs> they only needed one, but they put two. The Bible never mentions them again. And so we have the first church in the midst of the excitement of Jesus' resurrection following His ascension to heaven. And what do they do? Hold an election for officers. 
How mundane is that? But that's what they do. Well, it wasn't exactly an election, you understand. They put forward two names and they cast lots to let God decide. Hmm. wonder if we elected elders that way. <laughs> Have you ever wondered what else maybe went on during that week? Know, it's a 10-day period, really. My suspicion is, is that sometime during that time, somebody had to cook. And they gathered together to eat. We call that fellowship in the church. And certainly there was some discussion about how they were going to pay for everything. That's called budget and finance. And I bet somebody asked the question, now what are we supposed to do when the Holy Spirit comes? That's called long-range planning. At any rate, it's obviously... They obviously know that something big is coming. Leadership's going to be important. The community is short a leader. And so they have an election. It's a business meeting of the congregation. Why did they do that? They could have sung some hymns. They could have prayed some more. Maybe they could have had a miracle or two. But in the midst of all the glory, they do the mundane stuff. What we think of as the mundane stuff of church business. We Americans tend to be very suspicious of institutions and organizations in general and anything that smacks of bureaucracy in general. One of my newly adopted sayings is when somebody says, why do Presbyterians do it this way? Is because we hadn't found a harder way yet. And there's some truth to that. But we are suspicious of institutions. We think institutions begin to infringe on freedom. Individual is good. Social structure, government, heaven forbid, is oppressive. But the honest truth is, is the church then and now is just as full of politics as anything else in life. That's just the way it is. We human beings enter into the realm of God, the body of Christ, and we engage in politics of some kind or another. I've probably told this story before, but I love it, so forgive me if you've heard it. It was during the 10th anniversary of Garrison Keillor's Lake Wobegon. And he's telling the story of being a young man and he's walking down the street and he, says, he sees, he says, the most beautiful woman he has ever seen coming toward him. And he is just enthralled and he knows he has to say something to her. But he can't think of what. So looking around, he sees parked on the street a brand new Cadillac. So he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out a dime and as she approaches he puts the dime into the parking meter. You know where it's going? <laughs> she walks up and says thank you and opens the door and drives off. <laughs> Problem is we tend to think of the church as belonging to us. It's not your church. It's not my church. 
this church belongs to God. We may be stewards of the mysteries, but that's all we are, stewards. We make our contribution, but the Cadillac doesn't belong to us. Two very prominent Reformed theologians had a, somewhat of a disagreement over this. Emil Bruner, in, the, in a book called Misunderstanding the Church, writes, The church is supposed to be a pure fellowship without laws or institutional apparatus. And we listen to that and we say, yeah, that sounds good. How could we do that? But Karl Barth saw the church a little differently. He said, when you stand on any Sunday and you affirm, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, you are saying, in this place, in this assembly, the work of the Holy Spirit is taking place. This is not intended as a deification of the creature. The church is not the object of faith. We don't believe in the church, but we believe that this congregation, in spite of its fallibility, is the place where the Holy Spirit comes and empowers people to follow God. Of course, we wish it were easier to see in the church the presence of God. We wish that the church wasn't quite so much like, well, those of us who make up the church. It'd be nice if the church was a little more than that. The God of much of the television gospel, the God of good feelings is much less demanding than the God who is, carnate, who is incarnate in human flesh and who comes and meets us in the faces of sisters and brothers who gather around us. Jesus Christ did not come to us in some noble, abstract idea. He came as a living, breathing human being and Jesus still comes to us in living, breathing human beings that gather around us. Sometimes it's pretty earthy. Sometimes it's not very pretty. Sometimes it's not altogether inspiring. And yet, in this place, in this place, the risen Christ still comes to meet us. So when you think about the election of Matthias and all the other hands on that day and all the other day-to-day -day church business, remember that God is pouring Himself into broken vessels and those broken vessels are us. For whatever reason, God chose and created the church. And that becomes his body for carrying out ministry in the world. The risen Christ tells his followers that he will not leave them alone. He tells them that as he ascends into heaven. Leadership in the church is always about carrying out the work of God's kingdom. And with all our faults, with all our skills, with all our foibles, with all our insights. That's who we are called to be. And now unto Him who chose and equipped us and gave us a share in the work of His kingdom, all glory and honor 
to the risen Christ.